All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review very, very, very quickly. So if you're visiting here with us, this is your first week, um, there's a podcast that's up online. You can listen to that to get, like, the full backstory. I'm just going to go super, super, super fast um, as we jump in because we've got somewhere really specific we want to go today, and I need to get there in a few minutes. So in our ab- positional abiding in Christ, that's kind of what this passage is all about. That's what this this chapter, these verses in this chapter are all about is our positional and experiential abiding in Christ. In our positional abiding in Christ as we rest and dwell in Christ, as we trust him and rely upon him like a branch rests and abides and trusts in a vine, as we do that with Christ, as we rest in him, as we abide in him, his work begins to have its work in us. He works internally inside of us. He begins to will and to work and to do his good pleasure in our hearts as a branch rests in a vine and the life of that vine comes into the branch. So we rest in Christ and this metaphor that he's given us and his life begins to flow into us. Amen? And we then positionally have his life and power flowing to us. Positionally, we are also put in a place to receive the external working of the vine dresser. Amen? Where he prunes and cuts away God does not only work within us, he also works outside of us. If we lack either of these, this passage tells us we will not be able to bear the fruit we are called to bear. So we abide in Christ positionally, his life flows into us internally, and then externally the Father, the vine dresser, begins to work externally upon us, pruning us and cutting away that we might bear much fruit for the purpose of his glory. Amen? Together on this? Father's glorified, and we're filled with joy. Call that a win-win. So we have then this this picture that Christ gives us that he's the vine, there's the vine dresser, and we're the branches, and we rest and abide in him. Amen? In salvation, we're joined to him, changed by him, and he works through us. Can we just super simplify that this morning? Okay, we're trying to go somewhere important. I need us to get this. What I need us to understand and what this passage really shows us, if we, if we see it in context and as a whole, is this. You are not just saved, hear me please, to not go to hell. Maybe you were like me and maybe you made the possible unwise choice to obey your parents and go to a Bible camp where some guy got up and literally scared the hell out of you with what he preached and you were just like, I'm going to go to the front, I don't... Look, the dude that preached at the Bible camp that I first responded to, I'm just going to be bluntly honest with you, I went to the Bible camp because I heard there was cute girls there. Okay, first off, that's a good, positive, life-affirming motivation to go to a Bible camp, right? So I go to this Bible camp because I heard there was cute girls there, which was true. Little did I know my wife, I think, was actually there. But anyways, um, that was a long, long time ago. And so, we, so I go to this thing, and this guy preached such a scary message about how horrible and painful hell would have been. I'm going to be just honest with you. If he would have said, come forward and chop off your little pinky and that'll stop you from going to hell, I would have been the first one in line. I just didn't want to go to hell. Has anybody else been there with me? Like, have you heard that kind of preaching? Anybody heard that kind of hell fire preaching where you're just so scared? And there's a lot of people that seem to only be motivated or seem to only think of salvation as something that gets them out of hell. And what Jesus here is saying is, is, look, you are not just saved to not go to hell. Can I unpack why you don't go to hell just real fast? No? Maybe? Sure? Okay, cool. Two of you are excited. That's enough for me. (laughs) The reason why we don't go to hell is because fundamentally, in being joined with Christ, you have been made a son of God. 
And as a son of God, you have been made a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, you have no rightful place in hell. What I mean by that is it's a byproduct. You were reconciled to Jesus. You've been reconciled back into the family of God. Why would you go to a place that is not part of the family? I'm an American. I don't have to live in Canada. Praise Jesus. I don't know why I pick on Canada. It's just easy. If you're Canadian here, I'm sorry. Sort of. Um, No, we've been made sons of God. And as the son of God, and as the son of heaven, and as a son of the kingdom, and as a citizen, rather, of the kingdom of heaven, you have no place in hell. Ladies, just to go over this, in case you're offended, the Bible calls all of us sons of God. If you have been reconciled through Christ to God, the Bible calls you a son of God. The reason for that is because only sons in the biblical culture set out in the Old Testament, only sons received an inheritance. So for the Bible to call you a son, hear me please, is an honor. It's God trying to say, I have something for you. I have an inheritance for you. You're not a second class citizen like some of the cultures in the Bible where women were second class. The Bible says, no, you are all sons of God. Just to prove that the Bible's an equal opportunity offender, it also calls all men the bride of Christ. So we're all uncomfortable, okay? So this is just the biblical wording, and we like here at Sozo to stay with what the Bible says. And I know it's kind of cooler to say we're sons and daughters of God. The Bible calls us all sons. It also calls me a bride. And trust me, ladies, that's way more awkward for me than for you to be a son, I guarantee it. Just saying. So you were saved to become a a son of God. You were saved to become a citizen of heaven. Can I push it a little further? You weren't just saved to go to heaven. Say, oh yeah, you weren't saved to not go to hell. You were saved to go to heaven. But you also weren't just saved to go to heaven. You were saved so that you might be reconciled to Christ and become a son. And as a son, you are called to be like the son and do the will and work of the Father. That means while you are sucking air on this planet, God has a reason for leaving you here. This is a good place to get excited this morning. Just letting you know. You have a purpose and and a plan. God, God has left you here and is investing in you the resources that he's left on this planet for you to live and abide and do his will, to do his work. What is the work of the Father? To make disciples, build the church, advance the kingdom through the preaching of the gospel. That's the work of the Father. Jesus says in John 5, I'm pulling a blank here. Let me see if I wrote it down. Probably not because it just came to me. I don't know. I think it's actually 4. John chapter 4, around verse 30, if I'm remembering right. John, Jesus says that I do the will of the Father. People think Jesus ran around doing whatever he wanted. The reality is what Jesus told us is he did the will of the Father. As the Son, He obeyed the Father. As sons, we obey the Father. As as ones that have been made one with Christ, branches in a vine, we now, like Him, do the will of the Father. We spread His name, the Father's name and renown across the earth. That's why you're here. Well, I read a book and it said the reason I was here is to paint pretty pictures. No, you paint pretty pictures so that God might be glorified. I really feel my calling is just be a mom. You're a mom so that you can raise up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord that his name and his renown might fill the whole earth. 
I'm a car salesman. You sell cars with dignity and integrity and honor so that God might be glorified and fill the earth with his name and his renown and that all might know that he is God. This isn't complicated, right? This is fairly simple. I like that God leaves things simple for simple people like me. Okay, that's the purpose. You weren't just saved to not go to hell. You weren't just saved to go to heaven. You were saved to fulfill the calling and command of Jesus. Is this not what God set out in Genesis? Isn't this what he called us to do in Genesis? He made man in his own image and then says, go fill the earth with my image. Now, if you read the first part of the book, we kind of royally screwed that up. And the rest of the book is all about how through God's plan and purpose, he, has, he calls us to fill the earth with his image. We screw that up. He redeems us reconciles us, and now is restoring back, come on somebody, the image that he placed within us as his sons. This is the whole journey we're on, and we need to see this, that, that your big picture journey, fulfilling his big picture journey, it's all part of the big picture. And part of my job as a preacher, as a pastor, is to constantly remind us that, look, I know, I know, I know, life can get us pulled down into the nitty, gritty, dirty, rough patches, and it's easy for us to get our eyes off of the big picture. But part of my job is to make sure our eyes never fall from the big picture. Your purpose, the reason why you were reconciled, redeemed, brought back to God is to glorify him and to spread. Come on, what, what does Revelation say? Till the kingdoms of this earth become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. We read the end of the book, he wins. It's awesome. And we've been brought as sons into that purpose. So then we're, we're looking through this passage. We're seeing, I want us to get the whole picture of John 15, 1 through 11 today. Right in the middle, right verse toward the middle, verse 7. All of a sudden, he's talked to us about abiding and bearing fruit and all this great stuff. And okay, rest in him, abide in him works in us, he works internally on us, that the Father works externally, pruning away, that's good, we begin to bear fruit, and then all of a sudden he throws this verse out in verse 7, he says, yeah, if you abide in me, and I abide in you through my word, we talked about this last week, I'm not going to get into it, the way that, the, that Jesus abides within us is through his word, we want high woo-woo spiritual something, it's, it's simple, his word abides within us, he is his word, John 1, he and his word are one, so as we have the word within us, Jesus is within us, and as his word is within us, he says, pray, and I will respond. And if I'm honest with you, I'm kind of reading going like, what, say what? I thought we are talking about vines and branches here, dude. And all of a sudden, you're throwing out prayer, getting answered. We need to understand that verse 7 is tied to verse 8. He says, look, if you abide in me, if you're resting, trusting, abiding in me, if you've been reconciled to me, if the Father has given you as a branch to me the vine, abide in me, my word's going to abide in you, you're going to start praying for things, asking for things, and as a branch you are promised a response so that my Father might be glorified and the world might know that you're mine. Because there's a plan, there's a purpose, there's a calling that for you is impossible. Do you know how to manifest the kingdom? Do you know how to bring God's invisible kingdom into the visible world? 
in and of your own abilities and your own self? No. And if you think you do, we need to talk later. I'll pray for you. Confused. But it's through him and it's through his power. Here's what I, here's what I need us to see today. Those two verses are tied together. Okay, Prayers get answered not so that you can have a big house and a nice car and wear gold underwear. Right? This verse, come on, you've hung around the church very much. This verse gets pulled out all the time to justify stuff that the Bible calls sin. Gluttony, greed, right? Like, well, I just ask whatever I want. God gives it to me. We get this picture that God's like a vending machine, right? We just walk up, pop our 35-cent prayer in there, hit A4, and we get a Twix bar. Isn't that how, have you been around the church long enough to hear that kind of stuff? But we need to understand that verse 7, this is deep, okay, you ready for this? Verse 7 comes right before verse 8. Right? Verse 7 saying that as we pray, he has promised us a response comes right before him saying, so that the Father might be glorified and people might get that you're mine, that you belong to me. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to understand why. Okay, we're going to spend the rest of the summer digging into this. This is going to be super high pass overview this morning. But I want us to kind of see the lay of the whole land so that as we traverse it and as we go through it through this summer, we kind of always have the context of where we are. Why is it that as his word abides within us, we are promised the answer to prayer? You ever, I mean, have you thought about that? Like, well, why is it, okay, if my, you abide in me, my word abides in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done. Why is it that suddenly now prayers being answered become a distinct possibility? We're going to unpack this a little bit this morning, but here's why. The reason why is because fundamentally as his word is received, it delivers with it faith. And faith is the necessary ingredient for impossible things to become possible. Don't have time to get into this this morning, but in 1 Corinthians 13, the the Bible tells us that there are three eternal elements, faith, hope, and love. Everything that you experience eternally and spiritually is a mixture and a blend of faith, hope, and love. Now, that may seem weird and seem a little bit out there for you, but just walk with me for just a moment here. There are only three colors. You realize that? There's only three shapes. And everything you see is a blend of those three colors and those three shapes. Everything we experience spiritually is a blend of faith, hope, and love. Those are the only things that you can build in your life that the Bible tells you are going to last forever. Faith, hope, and love. So we might as well spend some time learning about those things, right? I think it'd be a good thing. So let's look at faith. High pass overview, super big picture here. I want us to see, and this is just the way it came to me as I was studying and praying. I hate it when preachers do this, but just walk with me here. I want us to see the anatomy of faith. I want us to see the action of faith, and I want us to see the attitude of faith. So let's look at some verses together. In John chapter 10, verse 27. John 10, 27. It says, my sheep, this is Jesus speaking here, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So in, in John 15, we're branches. In John 10, we're sheep. Flow with the metaphors, okay? Romans 10, 17 says that, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. I'm going to leave that one up there. Big picture, here's what we need to understand. Faith is produced when you hear God. 
Look at the anatomy of faith. Are you with me on this? Faith is produced when you hear God. As we hear God speak, faith is joined with his word to our hearts. Faith becomes a part of the delivery system of his word to us. This is, this is in kind of the easy way to understand this is this. When you first heard the gospel, if you've been reconciled, redeemed, if you would call yourself a believer, a Christian, when you heard the gospel, when you really heard the gospel, it delivered with the hearing of it the faith to believe it. Amen? This context of this is actually talking about people preaching the gospel and how will they be able to believe if they don't hear anybody preach because faith comes by hearing. You have to hear God to have faith. When you heard the gospel, when you received the gospel, it, it brought with it the necessary faith to believe it. Faith only comes when we hear God. If you don't have faith, I'm just going to be blunt with you, it's because you haven't heard God. Let me, let me unpack this here a little bit for us. Faith and hearing God happen at the same time. I remember from, from early on in Ty and I's marriage, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary. Um, early on in our marriage, we had a heart for this city. We loved this city. We believed God to do great and awesome things in and through this city. Cool, right? It was then years later that God spoke to us, hear me please, follow with me, about planting a church here. And it was in that speaking that suddenly faith was, uh, was, was delivered, imparted, uh, brought into being within me and within Ty for God to do something that we thought he, we knew he could, but now we knew he would. Faith takes it from a could to a would. Faith takes it from a maybe to no God will. Faith is hearing God. This, I need you to understand this because there are some of you, and, it's, and maybe you've experienced this, maybe you haven't. Keep walking in this life of faith and you will. God speaks something to you. God delivers a, a, a word to you. God, God calls you to something. God says something to you. And all of a sudden, you're, you're pumped and you're excited about it, right? You're, you're all giddy and excited. And man, God's going to, wow, God spoke this to me. And you go share it with somebody who loves Jesus too. And they're like, dude, I, I think you're nuts. I don't think that's right. Now, please hear me. I need to make sure I'm, I'm teaching you well. There is an understanding, and there is a level of you need to get wise counsel before you do stupid stuff. But there's another piece to this that maybe it's not, maybe it's not, maybe it's not that you're not supposed to do that. Maybe it's that they haven't heard what you heard. And the reason why they don't have faith for what you have faith for is because they haven't heard the same thing from God that you've heard. Now, I'm not saying God's schizophrenic. What I'm saying is that we're his kids. I say some stuff to my son that I don't say to my daughters. I let my son in on some secrets. Okay, that's not really true. I let my oldest daughter in on some secrets. My son gets way too excited and then gets like weird when the topic comes up that I told him the secret about. <laughs> and then his sister knows. And so occasionally. I let him know. But come on, we, we, when you have kids, you understand that, right? When you have friends, you, you say certain things to certain friends that you don't say to others. What I need you to get is this. There's no shortcut in getting faith. When we're going to talk about faith this summer, and we're going to look at this thing, and we're going to really unpack it and understand it, here's what I need you to get. There is no shortcut. 
You've got to get to a place where you can hear God. If you need faith in your life, which you do, you have to get to a place where you can hear God. Has anybody else ever been broke and had to steal Wi-Fi from their neighbor? Everyone's like, no, never. Has anybody ever been so broke that your neighbors didn't have Wi-Fi either, so you got your laptop out, drove around in your car until you found somebody with Wi-Fi? You think I'm kidding. Because Starbucks already kicked you out because you hung out there too long. Like, you need to go. I know, but it's only 1230 at night, and I still haven't got my work done. You drive around until you find free Wi-Fi. You've got to get into a place, right, where you can get the Wi-Fi. You've got to get to a place where you can hear God. There is no shortcut to this. If you're expecting in this summer as we look at faith, if you're all excited about it, you're like, ooh, I'm going to find out how to, there's no shortcut. There's no easy, simple, cheater way to do this. You've got to You've got to take the time and listen and hear God speak. It's the only way to get faith. If you're facing a situation right now, you don't know what to do. There is no shortcut. You have to put in the time and listen and hear God. I don't have any cheat sheets for you. But here's the cool thing. The reason why I had us read this verse, John chapter, oh, is it 1017? 1027, whatever. 1027 is I need us to hear this. If you're a branch, you're a sheep. We get that, right? We got that earlier. If you're a branch, you're a sheep. If you're a sheep and you're a branch, you are promised the ability to hear God speak. I, I need, I, somebody needs to hear that this morning because you're all worried that you haven't heard God or maybe you're facing a situation and you're struggling trying to hear God and you're freaking out about it. You need, big picture, you need to rest. He's going to speak to you. Calm down, chill out, stop. Now, there is a certain amount of you need to get into a good place to get to a place to be able to hear God. Amen? There's part of that. There's a reality to that. But once you're in that place, once you're resting and abiding and trusting in Jesus, just stop. He has promised to speak to you. I'm telling you this not so that you feel condemned, but so that you feel liberated. So you can stop and say, you know what? I'm a branch, I'm a sheep, I'm a sheepy branch. I can hear God. It's promised to me. I'm his son, he likes talking to me. I can calm down and trust that he will speak to me. Is this helping anybody? So faith is produced by hearing God, amen? So now the anatomy of faith is hearing God. The action of faith, I lost my thing down here. Anatomy of faith, we, got, we have James chapter 2, verse 17. Can we throw that one up? This is gone. <laughs> no idea. James chapter 2, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is only partially effective. Is that what it says? Y'all going to let me get away with that? That's pretty sad. No. <laughs> faith if it doesn't have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Next, we've got Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight. I think, should be in there. Law, do we have Hebrews 11, chapter eight? Or Hebrews 11, verse, that's first Peter. That's a different one. Uh, (laughs) I love technology, this is awesome. Okay, Hebrews 11, verse 8 says that Noah, when he heard God, obeyed. There we go. You good with that? 
Here's what you need to understand. The anatomy of faith, how we get faith, is we hear God. From hearing God, the next, the next piece of faith is that we respond in obedience. If your faith does not produce a response within you, please hear me, I doubt that your faith is really real. Yeah, I talked about this earlier. When you heard the gospel, come on, it delivered to you the faith necessary to believe it. It also delivered to you the umption, the gumption, the do something to get up and respond. I heard the gospel and I believed that it was great. I like mentally ascended to understanding it and I had the belief in it and I trusted in it and it was great. But I didn't do anything. Listen to me. If you claim that you have been reconciled to Christ and nothing has changed in your life from before you're reconciled, I'm just going to, I love you. I love you. And before I told you I wasn't trying to bring condemnation, I'm still not. But if nothing has changed in your life, I doubt your salvation. And I think you need to test yourself as the scriptures calls to to see if you are in the faith. Now, am I saying, well, you are, you, if you're not perfect, then you're probably not saved? Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> no. I'm not saying perfection. I'm saying if there's been no transformation, if the call to Christ has not caused you to move, I doubt that you really heard the call. It causes us to respond. I use the, the, the picture of when, you know, we had a hope, we had a belief, we had, a, we had like this strong feeling that maybe, you know, God could do something great in Spokane. And then when he called us to plant a church here, okay, this is going to be really deep. We had to move here. It required, come on somebody, a movement, a shift. We're calling the series further up and further in. You can't go further up and further in and stay where you are. Faith necessitates a shift and a move. You have to move if you're going to have faith. It requires obedience. Come on somebody. There is a necessary movement inside of faith. That means this. Actually hearing God will cause an actual movement in your life. Because faith, hear me please, is not a feeling. I'm going to say that again. Faith is not a feeling. Some of you are like, well, sometimes I feel like I have faith. Who is that don't have faith? That's, that's a feeling. That's not faith. I'm, I'm glad that during worship, the little hairs in the back of your neck stand up. That's not faith. Feelings come and feelings go. Faith is a foundation and a substance that you can build your life on. See, feelings lack the foundation of faith. Can I tell you this? Belief is not faith. Well, I believe certain stuff. Great. There was a time where people back before the, the Greek philosophers thought the world was flat. They then believed that with all their heart and all their mind and all their soul, and so therefore the earth was flat. No, it wasn't. It was still round. Beliefs change. Belief lacks the trust of faith. So I hope for some stuff. Well, that's great, but hope isn't faith. Hope lacks the confidence of faith. Faith requires movement. Faith requires action. Are you with me, somebody? When a son hears his father give him a commandment, the son obeys, right? Most of the time. Six out of ten, right? Like that's, that's the desired response, right? That's the natural working order. Now we're in a fallen world and our sons are all sinners and disobedient, so it doesn't always happen, but you're driving with me, right? When the father speaks, we've been made sons, We've heard him. He's called us. We've heard his voice. We, we've received faith. We've been reconciled to him. There is a necessary response. There's an obedience that we are called to his sons. I love the way James puts it. Like, well, you, you want to tell me that you have faith, but it hasn't done anything to you. Then I don't think your faith is alive. If you keep reading in James chapter 2, he says, can that faith even save you? 
So I'm not being mean when I tell us we need to, you know, do a little check here and see if we really are in the faith. Real faith produces real action. I, I say all this because of this, and, and I, I want to, I want you to remember that I love you. Hebrews 3 and 4 is a pretty stern warning to us. But if you've heard God, and you are choosing to ignore what it is that he's called you to do, the path that you're on leads to dull ears and a hard heart, and eventually ends up in a place where you say that God doesn't even speak. And if God doesn't speak, God isn't speaking to you. You're not a sheep. It's a dangerous path that you're on. And I would be negligent in my duties as your pastor to not encourage you, call you, challenge you to obey what it is that you have heard. Am I standing up here giving you some external list of 47 things that Christians need to do? No. I'm telling you, get into a place where you can hear God and do what he tells you to do as fast as is humanly possible. One of the things we work with our kids on a lot, since we're talking about kids today, probably should have saved this for next week. Um, one of the things we work with our kids on is a simple little statement. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I love you. You've heard God's spoken something to you. Obey. Because if you're not obeying, there's only one other option for what you're doing. I'm going to leave that. So faith, hearing God and doing what he says. The, oh, yay, facts. Attitude of faith. Here we go. First Peter 5, 6 through 7. Attitude of faith. Humble yourselves, therefore, to the mighty hand of God, so that, the, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. And then one of my favorite verses, Proverbs uh, 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Listen to me. We hear God. Faith is delivered. When faith is delivered, action is required. That action being required does not cause us to be puffed up, prideful, egotistical, and demanding of God. There is a hijacked teaching on faith that says, you go to God's word. I've actually heard people say, go to God's word, you find what he promises you, and then you march into the throne room of God and you demand what he promised. That's a really dumb. Because here's the truth. Ready for this? Big truth. He's God, you're not. That is not an attitude of faith. An attitude of faith is not an attitude of pride. I'm going to be honest with you. The people that I know that walk in the strongest, deepest, most meaningful faith that I know are some of the most humble and trusting people that I've ever met. You see, faith, the attitude of faith is an attitude of humility. Faith doesn't puff us up. Faith humbles us. Because I've heard God of the universe has spoken to me. And he has given me a part to play in what he has called all of us to do. And that humbles me when I really hear God. And yes, with that calling has come promises of great and amazing things that he has called us to do. But you know what? I walk humbly. I don't march into the, the throne room of God and demand what he promised me. I walk humbly before my God, trusting that he and he alone can bring about the outcome. 
The attitude of faith, please hear me, let's just boil this down as this. My job is the obedience, his job is the outcome. I don't demand from him the outcome, I demand from myself the obedience. So let's just overview this super fast. Faith, give you a simple definition, faith is hearing God and choosing to obey no matter what we think, feel, or experience while fully relying on him regardless of the outcome. I'm going to say that again. Faith is hearing God. We understand that. Choosing to obey no matter what we think, feel, or experience while fully relying on him regardless of the outcome. Here's what I need you to see. Just me being honest. Most of the time, I'm going to say 96 times out of 100. When I go to God and say, God, this is, this is something going on. This is, this, is a, this is a need I have in my life. This is, this is, I don't understand this. I need direction. I need to know what to do here. When I go to God like that, when I, when I go before Jesus, when I, when I approach the throne room of grace to find help in my time of need, I'm just being honest with you. This is what I happens to mean. This is what I see most often in Scripture. Here's what comes back. Do this. There is a call to obedience. When, when I go before God and I, see, in my mind, I think my need is somehow going to manipulate him and get him to do what I want him to do. Anybody else with me, right? Like if I just seem needy enough, maybe he'll do what I want him to. We don't think it consciously. I'm not saying that, but we, that's where we go, right? We, 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 we drum up some kind of really big sob story, right? And we go before him with tears and screaming and yelling. And we think somehow by the volume of our screaming and the sincerity of our anguish, that will somehow manipulate the God of the universe to do what it is that I want him to do. The reality is when we come before the Lord, more oftentimes than not, when you present him with your problem, when you present him with your issue, when you present him with your struggle, he says, great, now you're trusting me, now do this. And I'll take care of the outcome. When God spoke to us, plant this church, we had to move here. When we moved here, we're going, okay, God, now what? We didn't just sit back and go, hey, you know what? It's our excuse to be lazy because God called us to plant a church. No, it got us moving. It got us obeying. He gave us steps and things to do. Come on, somebody. Faith is not some fuzzy, wuzzy, out there sort of thing. It's a foundation that you can build your life on because it is a commandment. When God speaks to you, he gives you something to do. And if you're facing an impossible situation, I would challenge you to go before the Lord, pray, seek him, and obey whatever he tells you to do. I love Mary in the Gospel of John, who at the, at the wedding, they run out of wine. She goes to Jesus. Come on, somebody. She goes to Jesus and tells him this. He, he blows her off. Read the story. He blows her. He's like, woman, this isn't my problem. Literally, he called his mom woman. Probably a good thing. I'm a pastor, right? Um, he blows her off, but here's what Jesus, here's what Mary does. She goes and gets the servants. She brings them to Jesus, and what does she say? Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You're facing an impossible situation. You're going through a struggle, a difficulty, a challenge. Hear me. Go to Jesus. Listen to him. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. But I don't know what's going to happen in the outcome. Your problem is not the outcome. Your problem is the obedience. Stand to our feet.
The reason I think the Lord would have us this summer to look at this, and I didn't know this months ago when this became the message of the series, the what we were going to be doing this summer. I didn't, I didn't know this then. But the reality is that as, as a church, I, I think this we've known, uh, as a church, we're a collection, a body of believers. Amen? As believers, we're called to do impossible things. And I, I need us to understand that that is only going to continue to increase as we continue to exist as a church. God has called us. We personally are just stupid enough to believe that God, through us as a church, could preach the gospel to this entire city. And while we rest as a church knowing that God is our provider, as we rest as a church knowing that God is the one who fulfills his calling upon us, we also walk in an understanding that he has called us to be a part of what he is going to do through us. And we rest and abide and even rejoice in what God has done. Amen? For us as a church, I'm talking to us as a church here for just a sec. But also, we, need, we, we must never take our eyes off of the fact that this is not where he has called us. We're not there yet. Can I just put it that way? There is a further up and a further in that we need to go. And faith is not an excuse for us to be lazy. His promise to us of reaching the city is not an excuse for us to be lazy. It ought to be a motivation for us to be obedient and trust him for the outcome. all comes back down to, it all circles back in a nice, neat, tidy little bow, abiding and resting in Christ. So this morning, my call, my desire, my hope for us is that we might afresh and anew set our hearts to rest and abide in Him. So we're going to respond this morning, as we do each week, with communion. And, and I don't know of a better picture of our resting and abiding and trusting in Him and in His broken body and His shed blood for our salvation. And my Bible tells me that if He has given us what was necessary to save us, His own broken body and His own shed blood, He is more than capable of providing everything else that we need to accomplish what He's called. Amen? So we respond with communion. If you're here, and as I challenged and as I spoke and said, you may not be saved if you have not experienced transformation. Listen to me, if that's you and that, that hit your heart and that some, something, something shifted and moved it and you're going, I don't think I've been reconciled to Christ, please respond. Don't ignore that. Don't move past that. Don't go, well, I'm at church, so I must be a Christian. Go stand in your garage. You're not a car. Okay? You need to respond. If you don't know how to do that, came here with somebody, talk with them. If you came here alone, people in this front row right here would be happy to talk to you. They're deacons here. They're not just random people, I think. Don't worry. They love Jesus and they love this house. So Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for your voice and for your work and for your moving in our hearts. And God, I ask that you would continue to speak 
God, whether it's to those that need to be reconciled to you, or God, whether it's to us as a church to remind us of our calling and that which you've spoken to us. God, we ask that your voice would be strong in this place. God, not just that your voice would be strong, but that we would respond to your voice. We would be obedient to what it is you've called us to. As an individual and as a church, God, that you might be glorified and we might be filled.